It's my privilege to be able to present the gospel to you tonight and in a a way that is very relevant to you. It is beautiful. Every week we look at the Freedom Project in RUF. We're going through the book of Exodus and how God sets us free. He sets spiritual slaves free. So tonight we are looking at uh, the Ten Commandments. God has taken the people out of slavery and he's brought them to a mountain and we saw all uh, last last week the first meeting that the people had with him and now he's going to sort of explain who he is who we are and give us clear expectations about what it is to know God and so tonight we're looking at how, how it's one one good benefit of freedom is that we are set free to know him by his grace so Hear the word of God with me tonight in Exodus 21 through 21. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or it's in the earth beneath, that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for the Lord I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, who on it um, you shall... On it you shall not do any work. You nor your son or your daughter or your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is, in, that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off, and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and the fear of Him, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of God. Uh, may He write it tonight on our hearts. All these eternal truths may bless it. Tonight we pray. Amen. Okay, so tonight I want to just talk about how good it is to have clear expectations. Um, those are awesome. They're freeing. How many of you guys went to the um, Fiji party this week? Fiji Island. Nobody. Yeah, you should be happy. Are you talking about the fraternity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the yeah. Fiji thing. Or if you went to. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah, go, oh, no. oh, hey, oh, well, that bomb didn't. Okay, so if you, imagine 
you know, going to a generic party, not that one, but uh, one that you've been, I mean, think of a party in your mind, what it would be like, and there would be music, and there would be people, all kinds of music, yeah, yeah, loud music, lights flashing, maybe it's in a field, I don't know, but think of your most beloved party, where there were, where there were good things happening, bad things happening, but you go there for the people. Maybe you started talking to some, a member of the opposite sex you know, before this party. Somebody you like. Somebody you, you started texting and communicating with. You might like this person, and this person might like you. But say you went to this party, and you started doing something that was against the code of this person. You didn't talk to that person enough while you were there. And this person holds it against you. This person stopped returning your text and is punishing you because you talked to somebody else and not her or not him enough. And so in relationships, we all have a lot of expectations about what that's like and what the other person needs to do in order to show that he or she is serious. Uh, but the problem is a lot of those expectations are not clear at all. And so then we get punished for breaking the expectations. Now, today we see God who shows us very clearly who He is, what He requires of us as far as it relates to Him and to other people. And He tells us really exactly what we can expect from Him. And, it's, and tonight I want to get to know him in that text and show you how that's a paradigm to get to know God throughout your life and every day of your life, actually. That, that it gives you clear expectations that can really help you. And, and there are, there are you know, 2.9 billion people today who, if they died tomorrow, will have never have heard of Jesus or the gospel or known a church and would die in darkness never hearing the gospel. And here these people are who... God has set free from slavery and God's introducing himself to them and letting, him know, letting them know himself. He's given them a great gift of their freedom, but he didn't just set them free so they can go to heaven. He wants to give them the greatest gift he could ever give anybody, which is to know himself, that he is their creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, and he is everything. And he wants to give them who he is, let them know who he is. So he tells his people first, who he is. That's our first point. Behold your God. Look at verses 1 through 2. God spoke all these words saying, I the Lord, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. First he tells them, I'm the God. I'm the king. He starts off, interestingly enough, uh, maybe that you, may, you, you might find this interesting, but he starts speaking in a way that informed readers or hearers would have recognized a king speaking in a covenant treaty. Any time any any a Hittite king or an ancient Near Eastern king would begin a treaty, they'd start off the exact same way. So informed readers and hearers would have recognized that God himself began speaking to his people as a personal, a personal king might speak in a royal communication or some kind of covenant. That's something you wouldn't know if you just picked up your Bible, right, and started reading this. This is the exact pattern that someone would use in that context. That's the kind of gold nuggets you can get in RUF here. You know, you, you, maybe you're reading your own Bible on your own, but... I've read some commentaries. I can give you that kind of stuff here. So that's good stuff. It's a king. 
But he's not like an earthly king, any other Hittite king or any ancient Egyptian king. He is absolute. He has the right, therefore, to demand obedience to his law. He says, I, Lord your God, I'm the Lord your God. I'm the king. Secondly, he's also your God. Okay? It, 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 he uses that personal pronoun, your. It's a second person singular. And so he's speaking to a second person singular people. He's saying you, but he's not saying plural you. He's saying you as one, that you're unified. Everyone who is God's people, in other words, is one body, a united body. And he has a special distinctive relationship with each one of them. Every single one of them, even you here today, he has a special relationship with you. That's the second thing you've got to know about this God you're seeing here. Third, uh, is the only reason that any of us know him and we're not like the billions who sit in darkness not knowing him, is that he set us free. He brought us out of slavery. He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery, out of Egypt. We live in spiritual slavery every day of our lives, longing to go back into that slavery, longing to go back to the land that's familiar to us, that's easy, that's not scary, rather than follow Jesus. And that clouds our vision. And we need to know that he sets us free. That's our God. He sets us free. And so that's our first thing. He is our God. He's the king. He is relating to us individually and as a body. And he sets us free. He's that, he's that God. And so he gives us rules. And he gives us the law in order to, to regulate our lives and show us what it is. So what is the law? What is the law? Let's think about the Ten Commandments. This is a hugely important thing to know about. Um, now, some of you might remember early in the semester, I had this foot injury thing going on. It was awful. I, I went to the, I scheduled a podiatrist the next day, uh, a podiatrist appointment the next day to go and figure out what's wrong with me. And so I go into this little podiatrist's office, walk in, and then the podiatrist, this is the smallest, tiniest office you've ever seen. And there's a little, like a little tiny closet where you can stick your foot in it and they will x-ray your foot and give you an MRI. And I was like, please show me what is wrong with my foot. Because I, I was hobbling around, I could barely walk. And so they, they took the x-rays, stuck them up on the wall, in the other wall of the office, the smallest office ever where the podiatrist works, and shows me uh, that I have no breaks, but I have this little white spot, and I'm 36 today. This little white spot where the joint connects to my big toe and the doctor says, you have arthritis in your toe, in your left toe. And I will always have arthritis in my left toe. It's a problem of the fall. It's a curse. It's, we live in this world where we get arthritis. But I was thankful for the MRI machine or this x-ray machine because it showed me what's wrong with me. And that's part of what the law is. The law is several things. One thing it is, it's like an x-ray machine or an MRI. It tells us who we are. It's also a great portrait of who God is, a picture of who he is. This is what he values, this is what he's like. He's invisible to us, so this shows us what he values. It's also sort of a road map for life to take us uh, to where we need to go to flourish. If you look at this Ten Commandments, that's one thing it is, uh, which Moses gives them. And then finally, it really does show me what is wrong with me, what internally is wrong with me. I know I have a lot of problems. You're running around... I can't ever figure this whole Jesus thing out. I can't follow God. I've got all issues. And so as we go through this, at the end of this, I want you to sort of want to cry and think, man, my foot really does have arthritis. 
my heart really does have arthritis. It's not right. But God's going to make a way for me to live forever with Him. It's a beautiful exercise to go through these things. So walk with me through here and look at this. Um, God's going to give you clear rules of what it means to follow Him. So the first thing He says, if we look at point two here, is He wants you to know your responsibility with God. He doesn't want you to be uh, at Fiji Island confused about who He is, okay, as you've been confused about every other person you've ever related to in your life, about do they like you or not. Um, uh, you know, you go into an interview, do they like you or not. No one... No, God doesn't want you to, to, to leave you hanging like that, looking at yourself and wondering what's wrong with me or what, what's wrong with this God. So first, he gives us the first commandment, verse 3. He says, you have, shall have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. That's a pretty clear one, right? He's demanding exclusive, uncompromising loyalty and fidelity to himself. This is monotheism. It's not as if there's these other gods out there that are, that are, that are, you know, equally valid here, and you need, to, you need to swear allegiance to me. He's saying, no, this is a radical thing for them because they've just exited Egypt, and Egypt was a polytheistic nation. And, and Ezekiel, another place in the Bible, if you want a note-taking person, you could write this down, Ezekiel 25 through 8. That's chapter 20, verses 5 through 8. And it says that Israel, while they're in captivity, in slavery for 400 years, assimilated into the culture of worshiping multi-gods. And you know that the Egyptians would make a god out of everything. They would make it out of animals, out of stars, moons, suns, and even Pharaoh, uh, even, even people. Uh, and so they, they would find these things to worship. And so he's saying, this is a radical thing that you have to consecrate yourself and only worship me. He's making a very demanding first rule as far as how they're going to relate he's saying I will have no rivals that's the fundamental thing you have to know to live a free life a life of freedom is that you can't bind your heart to other things in this world more than God wealth, success, uh, love sex, money any, anything that you could put in, in life that would bring you some sort of happiness that's a, actually maybe a good thing you can't bind your soul more to that thing than you bind it to God. It's God's demanding and that he must be ultimate and first, full consecration. So that's the first rule. Second rule is verses 4 through 6, the second commandment. Um, he's saying, and, and notice that it starts out with you shall have no other. You shall not make for yourself. And then the, thir the third one is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So he's, he's, the way those verses all start is with the Hebrew lo. Uh, it's an emphatic no. Second, first was no other God. Second one's no hewing God into a shape. No making Him into an image. You can't do that. Just like every single one of us hates it when someone puts us into a box or characterizes us as something we're not. God will not have that either. We all hate that when, people, when we're misrepresented, right? So it is when we relate to God. Hebrews, again, had, uh, had known this Egyptian wor worship uh, stuff, that gods were animals, natural objects, suns and moons. And so when, when we're going to see in a few weeks, actually, that they actually go back to that. They're like, Moses is gone talking to God, and Aaron, his brother, takes all the gold of the people, fashions it into an idol. And they say, we're going to worship God. This is Yahweh. This is the Lord who brought you out of slavery. This is him. Why did they make a calf or a bull? Because it communicated strength. It reassured them. 
And that's just like when we worship sex or fantasy or money or whatever it is. Those things can bring us comfort. Um, they can bring us significance. Like, hey, you're the man or you're the woman. Someone finds you important. Uh, just like a bull, worship, a golden bull could bring them that. That's the temptation is to make God into those things or those images. And God says, no, you will not reduce me to something like that. You can never reduce the living God who's infinite and eternal to some sort of tangible thing you can put your hands on and manipulate. And, and he says, if you do that, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Now that sounds terrible, doesn't it? God is jealous. We don't like jealous people, right? We, we hate jealousy in our, in our relationships, right? We're just like, well, just trust me, people. Just trust me. Don't be jealous about me. Well, of, of course you want people to be jealous about you. Of course you want people to care about you. Your parents maybe call you and get on your case about studying or who you're, what you're doing with your time. Uh, certainly, your spouse someday will be jealous and concerned about your time. And if they're not, do they really love you? Certainly, someday, you'll be concerned and jealous for your siblings' time or your friends' time. What are they doing? Do you care? You know, if, if your friend is off at Baylor uh, and, and, or Texas or, or Oklahoma State or another place that you grew up with and you love this person and he or she has become a drunk out of, their, out of her, his or her mind, you care. You want them to be better than that. And you know they're better than that, and so you're jealous for them. That's a kind of... That's a kind of marital sort of love that God has and familial love for his people. He has that. He's jealous for us. And so, if you do worship God in that way, it says that's going to affect you and it's going to affect everybody in your generation down to four generations, which is terrible. You know, there's sort of this idea that our sin only affects me, but it affects everybody. Uh, and it's, uh, But then he also does say that if you're faithful... Then he shows steadfast love to thousands of those who love him and keep his commandments. So, so there's this like third or fourth generation here versus uh, judgment versus thousands of generations for someone who's faithful. Okay, the blessing of God's grace is a thousandfold times more towards faithfulness than it is in judgment towards unfaithfulness, which is interesting, is it not? God is full of grace and mercy and kindness. And he's, he's also full of judgment. But if you were to weigh them, the grace and the mercy, it so much outstrips the glory of, of the judgment. That's an interesting factoid in that verse. You can look at it in 4 through 6. But let's move on to the third rule. Third commandment. You shall not take the Lord, name of the Lord your God in vain. Look, this isn't just me saying GD and G, Jesus Christ and things like that. It, it, that is an explanation or an application of this. But the real heart of this is no dealing frivolously, no insincerity, no thoughtlessness in speaking of God and invoking His name. It's, when, when, he, when it says here, you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, uh, the, the Hebrew behind it is saying no lifting it up in vain, no lifting it up insincerely, no invoking God's name. Well, people would invoke, invoke God's name to sort of justify themselves. And so the big deal here is that you can't, Use God in that way, frivolously. Okay, you're to, and so on that end, that's the negative, but also on the positive end of this commandment is that you have to revere Him, honor Him. As you'd honor someone who's weighty, who's important, you'd honor President Bourne. You would defer to him if he was in this room right now. 
you would honor his presence. You'd honor President Obama. You'd honor President Bush. You'd honor whoever it is. You'd give these people deference because they're of greatness. And so the name here is a big deal in context in that era because names communicated meaning and, and uh, character. And so if you're, to, if you're to sort of run God's name through the dirt, uh, that would be extra bad, okay? Uh, think of the thunder tonight. They're playing tonight. Some of our people are there, actually, you know, which I'm sad that they're there, but I'm glad they're there, too. It's a fun thing to go to the thunder game. Well, we want to win this game. It's a very important game. There are three games left in the season. We're tied for the eighth spot in the playoffs. We have to win, and we have to protect our house. We have to win home games, right? Um, it's a very important thing to win all your home games, and so uh, you often see that a, that a home crowd will boo a lackluster performance by their team because what the, the actions of the team is not in keeping with protecting the name on the jersey, the name on our shirts, the name on the stadium. Like, when, when OU sucks in football, we get angry. We're so spoiled. We don't, like to, we don't like to lose, much less we don't like to lose by, or we don't like to win by less than 35. Okay, like, we, if, we're, if we're, like, only up by 10 at halftime, we are kind of angry, okay, because we are better than that. They're not represent the team on the on the on the field is not representing the name, okay. Okay, so that makes sense, right? All right. So um, finally, under under the how to relate to God, given clear expectations, uh, the the last one is the the ten the ten or the fourth commandment, which is uh, obeying the Sabbath, and this is the it moves from the negative to simply the positive of, of redeeming or remembering the seventh the seventh day or the Sabbath day. And the, the Shabbat word, which is the root of that, is, is uh, a word that meant rest, cease, desist. And so he's like, I gave you five, uh, six days to do all your work. Take one day and remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. You can't do work that day, but, but it, no, no one in your house can do it. And the, and the paradigm is in verse 11. God made the creation in six days and then he rested. He showed you how to do it. And so... There's five purposes in this. One, you're going to commemorate the God's your creator when you rest on the seventh day. You remember him. He made all things, and he rested. Um, and so we rest and honor him. Secondly, um, he, we're also redeemed by him. And In fact, in the uh, Deuteronomy version of the Ten Commandments, it says that's why we rest on the seventh day, is to remember that God redeemed us. So, so one, remember he's his creator, Secondly, he's our redeemer. And then third, we work real hard six days a week. We need refreshment. We need recuperation from our hard work. You can't work every day. You just have to take a break occasionally or you will die. You will die. You will physically wear yourself out and your bodies can't handle it. This is, there's, there's creation rhythms to our lives. God didn't need to. He had to set an example for us workaholics to rest. Fourth uh, of the five purposes of the Sabbath one, uh, is that it serves as a symbol that God says uh, people apart. They're different. Uh, think of Chick-fil-A. Uh, I know it bugs you when you can't get into Chick-fil-A on Sunday. But man, that shows, look, these people are different. They have a different value system than every other business operating on that day. They are distinct. They have a special relationship with God. It sets them apart. Uh, and finally, uh, it's a day of holy convocation. It's a day to know God better. 
Now, wouldn't each of us like to know God better? Well, he gives us a whole day. You feel like, oh, man, I got no time to read my Bible. You got a whole day to read your Bible. Uh, now, I got no time to call my grandpa. Now, I got a whole day to call my grandpa because I can rest from my studies. Um, I, you know, it's Sunday. Rest. Do it. Um, you're exhausted. Rest on Sunday. We're all tired. We all go around talking about how tired we are all the time. God gave us one day to rest. And then, you man, you're like, man, I got no time to share my faith or to pray. You got a whole day to do that. Sunday. Take advantage of that. It's a Sabbath. So that's how God, that's God's expectations. They're very clear. That's how you relate to Him. That's how He desires you to relate to Him. That's it. And so a lot of us are like, oh, well, I'm not very good at that. Uh, that, that hurts to think about. That's what God wants me to do. That's my responsibility to Him. So that's, secondly, that's hard. But let's think about what it actually, like, we're dealing with people every day. Third point, what's our responsibility to self and other people? Does it get any better when we look at that? Well, these things that are written in stone, haven't changed. Let's look at the, the, the six rules for how to relate to people. First is the fifth commandment, or verse 12. It says we've got to honor our father and mother. We've got to get, give weight to our father and mother. That's what that word means, that kabod. It means give weight. Okay, there's hierarchies, there's structures, there's bosses, there's marriages. There's OU that you have to satisfy, your professors. One of the hardest commands to ever keep and what goes against our fallen nature is that we have to submit to authority. Uh, this is a tough one for me. I'll be honest with you. I don't like authority. Uh, tell me what to do. I don't like bosses. Um, and so um, I, don't, I, I just want to be the boss. I don't want people to tell me what to do. And so I think this is why we actually hire college football coaches. And we love college football. Because college football coaches give us an authority that really has no bearing on our lives who we can hate. We can, we can rail against, you know, when things aren't going well, you know, we just hate authority. We want to just like use these people as punching bags because our sin nature loves to rebel against authorities. Okay. That's what we, that's why we get into the drama known as college football every Saturday. We devote our whole day to it because we absolutely don't like authority, including God's word. That's what, that's what, that's our root of our problem. Um, so he says you have to honor your father and mother so that it will go well with you in the land. Let's move on. Second one, and how it relates to ourselves and others, uh, is the sixth commandment. It, and it's, in Hebrew, it's literally two words. No murder. Lo rasha, no murder. Forty-seven times in the Old Testament, that word is used. And 46 of them, it, it's humans killing another human, usually intentionally like a planned assassination, something premeditated. It's never killing an animal. It's always killing a human. And it's never in the context of war or in self-defense or capital punishment. It's always premeditated murder. You can't kill people. But you also can't hate people. As, you, as you, If you went to the women's Bible study, sometimes I hear what you are talking about. And Meredith's been talking about this and, and Jesus, how Jesus actually quotes this. And he talks about how You've heard it said you shall not murder, but I tell you, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. If you said you fool. And so the whole, the whole like, well, if you think of any commandment you ought to keep, it's you shall not murder. But Jesus is saying, well, we're all capable of actually murdering somebody because it starts with our hearts. It starts with hatred. It starts with, with diminishing other people who are in the image of God. 
We've seen hatred. We've seen racism this, this, this semester. It's been a big theme at OU. We've seen how we can diminish other people. And, and that is the root of dysfunction and decay. And it's coming right out of our hearts. Our hearts are wickedly um, light when it comes to valuing the dignity and respect we ought to give other people. And we're quick to call people fools, especially if they cut us off in traffic or go too slow or won't get out of our way on the South Oval um, or those bikers, you know, cyclists, you know, if you're a walker or the walkers if you're a cyclist. You know, if, it, it's, it's whatever you're not exactly. Um, so um, the zombies, walkers. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sorry. Walking Dead reference. Maybe. Yeah, that's how they, they walk like zombies. Get in your way. Um, so third, finally, okay, let's move on from that. Don't think about that. Don't think about that. <laughs> Moving on. Seventh commandment. Two words again. No adultery in the Hebrew. No adultery. Um, you know, this is pretty obvious to us, you know, what this means, right? Uh, no uh, sexual stuff outside of marriage. Zero. Sexual stuff outside of marriage. Even fornication, to use that word. That sounds like an older, older word. That's... Uh, <laughs> You know, sex with anybody in a, in a, in a non-married way, a chaste way. Uh, this sort of, it, and, and these sort of things are, are outworkings of a really jacked up heart. A jacked up heart who really needs to be affirmed and significant and to be found to be beautiful. And we're not finding that in God, so we'll look for anyone else to, to be that for us. And we'll look lustfully at other people. And so Jesus says again, it's not just... Uh, cheating on your spouse, it's looking lustfully at another person and desiring to have them um, in that way, uh, who's not your spouse. And so purity is important. Why? Because there's no other relationship in the world that pictures the gospel like a husband and a wife relationship. That's why, it's, it, that's why there's really hardcore um, penalties associated with committing adultery in the Bible. There is really harsh um, penalties and laws against that because it's a picture of God's own love for his people, that Jesus' own love for his, for his bride. And so marriage is a big deal. We can talk more about that. You ask questions. But uh, next one, fourth one, is no stealing. Another one is uh, no stealing. Third one in a row here of just two words. Uh, so that literally means no taking something that's not yours and running off with it. It's just like you thought it would be, right? Stealing. Uh, that includes, you know, music, movies, digital things uh, as well. Any kind of things that aren't yours that you don't have a right to take, uh, that's what it is. Not, uh, ninth commandment and fifth one as far as we, it goes with people is perjury or uh, no false witness. And that would include not just lying on the stand, but gossip harming somebody's reputation. Uh, it's even harming your own name, you know, being careful what you post about yourself. Uh, it's, it's, it's care for names and reputation. Care for people, you know, and that means not rejoicing over other people's um, um, gossiping and things like that, not listening to it. Uh, finally, and this is the one that if, you, if you've survived all the way through this one, this is the one that kills you. Is you shall not covet. Now, what does coveting mean? Coveting means uh, an inordinate, ungoverned, selfish desire for something that's not yours. An inordinate, ungoverned, selfish desire for something that's not yours. It's not given to you. 
Uh, this is exactly the same word uh, and, and concept used in Genesis 3 when Eve sinned. God didn't give this. He gave him everything in the world except one tree with some fruit. And Eve had to have that one. And Adam had to see that, oh, that one's good too. Uh, and so this, this, is, uh, this is the birth of all of our sinning right here as a desire for something that God hasn't given us. And it's a doubt of God's goodness to us, his love for us. And so this is where we're like, we throw up our hands. We're like, well, I can't change what I desire. Okay, maybe I can modify my behavior, but I can't change my desire. So this is the point where you should cry. <laughs> this is the point where you should be like, I'm really a mess. And no one should ever love me, much less God. Much less God set me free from slavery. Much less God promised heaven eternally with me and to be with me and want to know me. But this is where I tremble and I think, well, why me? Why me? And, and, and these people are like, why me? They were, they were actually a little more, um, uh, more like, I got to get out of here. Uh, you know, it's like they realized they were way over their heads here. Look at verse 18. They saw it. They saw what had happened and they were afraid. They trembled. They stood far off. They wanted to run away. And, Mo, and they said to Moses, You talk to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Uh, you have security here. He's come to test you. And he's given me to speak to you. Okay, so the final thing here is, how, as, as far as getting to know God, is we have the freedom to know Jesus, and he is the mediator. In the same way Moses was a mediator between God himself and these poor people who had been set free and only known Egypt, they don't know what it's like to be free, and they're afraid. Well, God gave him Moses to speak and to represent himself, and here he is. And he's given us Jesus. God has given us Christ Jesus the Lord. So that's what we have here when we think about you know, our own problems with relating to God. Is He doesn't leave us where... We are in our sin. Um, he, he gives us this law as a tutor, as, as Galatians 3.24 says, if you're a note-taking person, a tutor to lead us to Christ. As Romans 7.7 7 says, it's that, man, I wouldn't even understand how bad I was until the law said, you shall not covet, and then covetousness sprang forth in me. When you see the law, part of what it is doing is it's showing you, you need, you're a sinner, and you need a, a savior, you need a mediator. He's someone to stand between you. Uh, I'll close this. There's an old, old seminary professor I used to have. It said, and he said this. Um, he said the mediator concept is everything. That Jesus is as a mediator, a go-between between God and people is everything. He said this. When he's talking about heaven and hell, he said that uh, hell is the presence of God with no mediator. Okay, Heaven is the presence of God with Jesus or the mediator. The only thing that separates God's presence toward a sinner and his wrath is Jesus. That's the, all we have. It's our faith in him. And what is the gospel? It's that Jesus took on every one of those ten commandments that I broke upon his own body and died for it on a cross. He was cursed, so I didn't have to bear the curse. And he was righteous because I couldn't be. That's what the gospel tells me. And that's the good news. That's what we go and we tell our friends about. It's free grace that God loves you so much that he he's honestly understands how bad you are, but he gives you a mediator. He gives you Jesus. 
because that's the only way you could ever be with him. And he really wants you. He does want you. It's such a good story. And it's our story if we have faith in him. And it can be ours more and more. And so I would encourage you to take these ten rules, these ten commandments, and preach them to yourself every day. Take, take this sermon even online, listen to it, and think about what each of those ten rules actually means and all the ways we break them. And come to the end and be like, I'm afraid, and I don't know what's wrong with me. And God still sends me a mediator. He still sends me a Moses. He still sends me a Jesus. And that's how good he is. Let's pray.